Over the last two decades, I've been on a quest to learn everything I can about leadership, obsessed with what makes the best leaders so good. After running companies small and large for the last 20 years, today I speak on stages all across the world to audiences who are interested in that same question. My name's John Laredo, and I'm your host. I invite you to join me on this journey as we explore this topic, what makes the best leaders so good. Welcome to Tomorrow's Leader. Hey there, Tomorrow's Leaders. So today's guest, Kim Parker, has been for the last 20 years involved in a lot of different unique leadership challenges and situations. And she has always, uh, as long as I've known her over the last 10 years, has done a really exceptional job kind of navigating all these different challenges. So she's got experience with everything from mergers and acquisitions and uh, integrating cultures and systems. And she is now the uh, chief administrative officer at Applied Insight. So we had a great conversation, as you're going to hear about everything from communication to leading through other people and developing people and values, all kinds of good stuff. So here's Kim. All right. Welcome to today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader, where we dive deep on all things leader-related, related to leading yourself and leading others. I'm John Lurito, your host, with a fantastic guest on today, somebody who's been a friend of mine for almost a decade now or over a decade, Kim Parker, who is uh, in Northern Virginia area. And uh, aside from being a friend of mine, is a fantastic leader, somebody who I've followed her career path, seen her accomplishments, uh, and now is the Chief Administrative Officer for Applied Insight. Uh, So welcome to the show, Kim. Thanks. I'm I'm really excited to be here and have an opportunity to talk about things that are important to me, such as leading through people. Yeah. So you got a big audience out there all over the place and a lot of countries that want to hear what you have to say, because you've really, uh, and I mean that, you know, I've seen you do some great things. I've followed you from a distance and I know you've risen up different uh, leadership ladders. Um, Maybe, you know, there's so much that I want to talk to you about, but maybe just for the benefit of the audience, why don't you share a little bit about not only what you do now, but what you've done, because you've really had your hands on a lot of different stuff. So, I mean, in terms of leading people and leading teams, I've been in large businesses. I've been in small businesses. I've led large teams, small teams, cross-functional teams, um, single-function teams. It's kind of run the gambit. And I've done this in through a lot of different kinds of scenarios, through M&As, divestitures, acquisitions, company splits, integrations, and all sorts of other restructures. Um, So I've had a lot of opportunities to see kind of the best practice, at least in my mind, on how to really lead through people and get the best out of them. Um, So I've I've had a lot of visibility into some of those different kinds of methods and some of those different kinds of processes over the last 25 years, which it hurts my head to think I've been doing this for that long. (laughs) Time flies. Um, So I want to get into leading through people and, and a few other things, but let me throw maybe a, an interesting question. You've been through so many different things, um, and as you're 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 sharing that, I'm thinking, wow, that's most leaders are either with one organization or in one kind of situation for uh, most of their career, and they kind of get used to it. You've you've experienced a lot of different challenges, a lot of different unique situations. What has been the biggest challenge? What do you think, from a leadership standpoint? What, what's the biggest challenge that you've had to tackle, do you think? So I think, uh, so I 
have only really worked at three companies, um, but one of the companies went through a lot of changes. So it's really like working at multiple companies. And I think um, when I worked for Lidos, that we had a situation where we acquired a large portion of Lockheed Martin's business. So part of the, I think probably the most challenging position I've ever been in was managing through the integration of Lockheed Martin's contracts and subcontracts personnel coming on board to Lidos, getting them caught up on new processes, new procedures, new culture, and bringing them into the fold. So that that in and of itself had a lot of nuances and it helped me kind of identify how to build a, an organization that you were actually leading through people because it was critical that we found a way to kind of pull them into the, the lightest way of doing business, but also making sure that they understood their own value and how they could contribute to the success of the organization. You know, it's, I, and I see, I see a lot of companies struggle with that. Like the, like the whole concept of, you know, a merger or an acquisition and knowing when to let that company that you've acquired continue to operate in a really consistent way that they have and let them kind of keep their own culture or everything the same and not really do much or to bring them into your your culture and and really blend and make sure that it's all one what's your perspective on that i mean is there a time where you just kind of let them stay and do their own and almost treat them as a separate company or does that usually lead to problems down the road well i think it depends on the strategy and the business model of what you're trying to do there's some valid business reasons to keep a acquisition or an entity separate there could be legal issues there could be all sorts of different things i do believe that if you're acquiring a company to bolster your experience across the the board that is really critical that you figure out the right time to do the integration and depending on the size of the integration and the risk associated with some of those integration activities, you want to be really mindful and thoughtful about the impact on the employees. And because and, you're buying, you're buying the business, so you need to sustain that business too. So that there's a lot of factors that you have to consider. Um, and I do think that, you know, each situation is going to have its own timeline, each situation is going to have its own strategy. So I think it depends yeah. um, on, on that particular situation. But I can say, even at Applied Insight, where I am now, We've had so many acquisitions where we've acquired other companies and kind of working through what that process looks like from the integration perspective, from the culture merging. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's definitely a challenge and it's definitely something you have to focus on how you're going to do that through the people that are in those roles and how you're going to get them to coalesce behind, mm -hmm. you know, a, a leader or a process, a team. Does it, is it important? I mean, I think about, um, that concept and and beginning with the end in mind i mean how important is it for that leader or that company to say okay in two years or three years here's how we want this to look and feel um and do most companies do a good job of that or do they kind of do you see a lot of companies that just kind of wing it and they go into it and then kind of deal with the issues and the problems as they go what do you think so i think it's a combination of the two um, honestly, because in, in any case, if you roll something out, you're going to have issues that you have to fix as you go. There's, you know, the, there's no point in trying to drive something to be perfect um, because it's never going to be perfect. And then you're always going to find things when you roll things out. I do uh, believe that having a written plan 
and documenting what it is that you're trying to accomplish and sharing that with the team to as much extent and practicality as you can to get everybody on the same page is critical. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, this kind of plays into establishing like the overall culture of the team, setting your values, setting your goals, setting all that stuff in a written way that you can communicate with the team as well as the stakeholders. And that drives some of the, the ability to integrate in a more, I, I believe, in a more cohesive way. That brings up a, a great question. You talk about culture, and I'm a big believer, uh, and and my guess is you are too, that results follow the culture. You start, yeah. you, you know, it's not the opposite. It's not like you get results and all of a sudden you've got a great culture. But I, I see a lot of le- leaders that struggle with that. You know, they they might be pretty self-aware and say, you know what? Uh, yeah, the culture of my organization is not what I want it to be, but they don't know how to create the culture, get it going in the right direction. Share a little bit about that. What's your perspective? How, how have you done that? And, and you've built some great cultures. I know that with your teams, where does that start and how do you do it? Oh, that's, that's complicated. Um, it, it is, but it's not. Um, so again, I, I believe in writing things down. So I always start with an overall vision for the organization. And then we define what the mission is. When I say mission, it's not the day-to-day, but it's a higher level um, plan for how you're going to accomplish things. And then um, I usually work with the team and the leaders to define what our values are. What do we value as an organization? And what are the things that are important to us? So in my current organization, you know, we value collaboration at a really, really high level. Um, we value trust between ourselves, but like upwards, downwards, right to left, um, diagonally. However, within our organization, um, trust is a big thing. And then it's, it's the other value is support and engagement and making sure that we're helping people grow and develop. So those are the primary values and they're, they're really critical, um, in documenting too, like I said, to, to make sure that not only internally people understand that, but also that the stakeholders understand what we're all about. Mm -hmm. And especially right now with, COVID and all the other things that are going on in the world, having those stated values really helps with decision-making on the individual people that are in the team so that there's a a cohesive kind of process for making decisions that we know collaboration is really important. So we're going to make decisions that promote that kind of collaboration Mm -hmm. and things along those lines. So to me, having those stated, having those defined and having them um, published and communicated really helps drive the culture and really helps get everybody on the same page so that everyone knows what it's about. So if you've got somebody out there that's maybe listening to this and saying, geez, you know what, I don't, I don't even have, we haven't defined what our values are or anything like that. We've never gone through an exercise like that. Um, they have a company that exists. I mean, how do they do that? Is that where the leader sits and creates the values and communicates them, or do they work together with their team and come up with shared values? What do you think? So the way that I the way that I've done it is I've come up with sort of like a, a draft, and then I I pulse check it. So right now the team that I'm leading, I'm leading leaders that lead people to execute the work. So I'm leading leaders to help them learn how to lead through others and and kind of get that push down all the way down to the individual contributor level. Um, so I think, you know, 
having a draft of what that is and bouncing it off them to make sure we're aligned because there's nothing worse than having a set of values that the people that are supporting it can't get behind mm-hmm. um, or that it's not important to them. So I think it's, it's getting to what, what I think need to be our values and then sort of revving through that with the team to make sure everybody's on the same page mm-hmm. and to make sure that we're all aligned in terms of, of what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And then it's, and then it becomes part of our just standard expectation and it's how we manage the team, how we manage our work mm-hmm. and things along those lines. Well, it's great too, because then you can also uh, use it as a way to, to vet people out, to bring people into the organization. And exactly. if they're not sharing or buying into the values of the organization, then that's not going to work. I mean, it's just, you know, plain and simple, that's going to lead to some kind of fallout at some point if there's not shared values. Well, and sometimes it's it's more of a, a conversation. And to me, another piece of leading through people is, is heavy on the communication side. So if there is a mismatch, why is there a mismatch? And then is there something you can do to recover that? Is there, you know, some, some things, conversations, um, is there something that's creating that, that misalignment? Um, so I think, you know, leading those conversations and identifying those is really critical too. Yeah. So one of the things I'd love to uh, talk about leading through other people, it is without a doubt, I think one of the things that, that leaders struggle with a lot because leaders, many leaders uh, are in their role because they've got part of what they are. They, they like control. They like to, they're very good at what they do. And then when it comes to building and scaling their organization or leading a larger organization, they've got to lead through other people. They tend to have trouble with it. What do you think, you've done it extremely well. I know that. What are the keys to it? How do you do that? Um, and, and, and maybe some of the things that you've, had challenges with that you kind of figured out, okay, this didn't work, but this does. How do you do that? So I think, you know, personally, I think um, what got you to a position of being a leader is not necessarily what's going to carry you to be able to lead a team in an effective way. So you've got to kind of understand your skill sets and you've got to be honest with yourself to say, okay, this worked to get me where I am. Is it going to scale to your point? And then you've got to kind of take a step back and then realize that, like for my me personally, um, I tended to be very high on execution. I would drive things to results. I would take everything on myself and I would kind of ram things through. And that got me to a position where I was recognized as somebody who can execute. Then I started managing teams and I realized very quickly that having that same kind of process or that same kind of approach drove everybody nuts because my expectations were too high. I was not um, giving the the people that were reporting to me the authority to do the things that they needed to do. It created a lack of trust. It created a, a lot of dysfunction. And I had to actually really step back a second and say, okay, this worked for me when I was trying to climb up the ladder, so to speak, but it's not going to work when I'm dealing with other people who are also trying to figure out how to grow and how to learn and how to develop and, and create their own, you know, leadership style and things along those lines. So to me, it was a, the recognition that what got me where I am is not what's going to take me to be a good leader mm. for people and helping them grow and develop, which is mm. now one of my, one of my passions is mm. helping people learn and grow. 
I love that. There's so much great stuff in your in your answer there. So I and it brings to mind a lot of things. I mean, I remember being an an officer of a company, a large company, and at a period of time, and I had very little decision making ability. I had very I was a very little ability to to really lead. It was more almost executing other people's decisions and and orders, so to speak. And it was it was uh, you know it was very um, uh, it was a letdown in reality and it, it was not fulfilling. I see a lot of people do that. You know, they struggle because they had success. They now have other people working for them and they're trying to develop them, but they're so insistent on either them doing it the same way that, that they themselves did it. They're not given enough latitude and, and flexibility and autonomy and, and not empowering that person. So how, how do you, you know, what, what's the, What's the, 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 uh, cause I think a lot of leaders struggle with that because they have such a fixation on it being done right or, or the way, and they define that by the way they've done it before. How does somebody cope with that as a leader? How do they, how do they get to the point where they can let go a little bit and, you know. So, so to me, this comes down to trust. So to me, trust is the currency of leading through people, Right. So, and it comes down to accountability. So I'm a big accountability junkie, but to me, accountability is not just saying, this is your task, go do it. If you fail, you're in trouble. It's the accountability of a person to have uh, an assignment or whatever their, their mission is, but to make sure you as a leader are identifying what they need in order to be accomplished, whether it's resources, authority, um, you name it, um, giving them the things that they need to be accountable for it. And then having that trust to have accountability the other way so that if they feel that something is not reasonable, that they're comfortable and that they trust that they can bring that to you. And you can say, okay, I agree or I disagree. Here's why I disagree. Or you have a dialogue. And, and to me, that's, you know, it's a combination of accountability and trust. You have a responsibility to be accountable to get them the things that they need they also have to have the same kind of accountability back in terms of making sure that there's a communication thread or, or discussion if they don't have what they need. Because yeah. a leader is not always going to be able to see, especially if you're over multiple teams, multiple functions, you're not going to know all the nuances to how to do everything. Mm-hmm. So having that communication thread that allows for upward conversations and downward conversations in an honest and, and true way is really going to help incentivize people to do it or to, to be accountable for the things that you're asking them to do. But mm. to that point, you also have to let go a little bit. So let me ask you this. Where, how do you know if you have let go too much and you've given somebody too much autonomy and flexibility? So I, to me, this kind of goes into the engagement piece of leadership. Um, I have a standing weekly meeting with all my direct reports. And the first, one of the first questions I ask them is, what do you need from me? So it's not a day-to-day status, but in those conversations, you can kind of see how they're progressing and if they need additional support, if they need additional things. And, and usually by having those tag ups on a, on a consistent basis, it's not a, it's not a check-in on status on, you know, are you meeting these requirements, but it's, do you need anything from me? Or I understand that you may be having some issues here. What can I do to help you get through that? 
And if, you know, the answer is something like I, I have this going on in my personal life or I have this challenge or that, it gives you more insight to what's hap- really happening and you can address it in different ways. So it's, it's having that dialogue. And again, I think this, this also plays into that trust piece. Yeah, that makes sense. What, where is the, um, you know, I, I think about leaders sometimes that, um, and you've heard the term skip level leadership where, you know, you kind of, you take that, you go two levels down or two levels up, whatnot. Um, when is it appropriate for a leader who may have a leader underneath him or, or her to go down another layer and work with or uh, lead some of his or her people? What situations does that make sense, do you think? So I think that's kind of a difficult one to, to answer because I think each situation is going to be different. Um, you never want to just, if, if you have to step in and lead their team because they're not performing, then that's, that's a performance issue and you need to kind of work through either figuring out if that person's not aligned to the right position or if you know they, they don't have the interest or if there's a mismatch in values or, or whatever the reason is that that person's not leading. So I think, you know, if somebody is not effectively leading, you got to figure out, do you replace that person? Is it, is it a coachable thing? Mm-hmm. Um, so, at, you know, to answer your question at one, at what point do you do that? I think it depends on, you know, the, the, what they're in charge of and how they're progressing towards the, the goals or the milestones of the things that they're, they're trying to get done. Yeah, it makes sense. So, it's it's difficult to say this yeah. is when you do it, but it's it's sort of an intangible thing. Well, it's interesting. And the and the other side of that, I, you know, I remember leading uh, managers, and their people would come to me, let's say, on occasion for certain things and ask me questions. And I remember a period of time where I felt like, hey, I want to be accessible. I want to make sure that people feel I'm approachable and that they can come to me for anything and and open door philosophy. Uh, but the downside to that is they came to me for things that they should have come to their manager. So I was by answering their questions and by handling the things that they were bringing to me, I was taking my manager out of the equation and I was I was removing power that they had. And I didn't even realize it until someone else brought it to my attention. And, and I realized, you know what, that is that is true. I need to I need to very carefully balance the line. I don't want to shut somebody down who comes to me and, and make it seem like I'm totally not approachable, but I need to position the leader. So I would then go and say, well, did you ask, you know, Matt, or did you ask Liz? And no, no, they hadn't. Well, why don't you talk to them first? I trust their opinion, whatever decision they're going to make, it's up to them. And there's so much power that then that gives that manager and that leader, and it, it helps build their you know, their influence and credibility as well. And it also shows that it also enhances the trust factor between you and that manager as well, Big because time. they know for a fact that you've got their back and you're going to allow them. You're, that, that's also part of the accountability piece too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really important to, you know, not trump your leadership team and, but being accessible if there's an issue. So if there's something that's ethics or something that's, you know, that's going to be a big risk for the company, then, you know, we have processes for, for those kinds of things to be brought to the attention. Um, but I do think that it's important, you know, on a, on a 
periodic basis, if you are feeling that something isn't right to do those kinds of skip interviews, mm-hmm. um, because you're not always going to get all the information from the daily tag apps, um, especially if there's some challenges or problems. Yeah. Uh, so I, th- I do think that there's a time and a place for those kinds of things. Absolutely. I, um, I know every great leader has been led by other great leaders and they've had people that have influenced them and maybe how they do things or how they think about things. Have you had leaders that have really made a big impact in who you are and how you lead? So many, um, so many. And I read a lot too. I mean, like the whole concept of leadership is important to me and something that's really interesting to me. Um, but I have had some of the most amazing mentors and leaders and some people um, who didn't don't even really realize how big of an impact they were on my career and the way that I think through things. Um, and that's always interesting when you you kind of circle back with people like, you know, you really, by you doing X, Y, and Z, by you leading by example and me understanding you modeling this behavior, you doing this, it really influenced my way of thinking and helped me really kind of form my own process, my own style for something based on what you did. Mm-hmm. So you can find mentors in different places, but I've informal mentors, I've had formal mentors, I've been through you know, a litany of uh, leadership programs and things like that. But mm-hmm. um, I think mentors are incredibly important mm-hmm. and you also have to kind of look out and pay attention to them. And that I think is part of being self-aware, mm-hmm. um, which as a leader, I think you need to be. Um, because again, it, it also ties into what you did in the past is not going to get you to be a great leader. So you have to really kind of be self-aware and honest with yourself mm-hmm. about some of those things. So yeah. keeping an open mind, keeping your eyes open and paying attention and finding the people that you respect and admire and that are modeling things that you really look up mm-hmm. to um, is, is really important. And I also think it's important that, you know, the higher up you go, sometimes you realize, number one, that the situations or the, the issues that you're dealing with are more complex and you have less and less people that you can talk to and seek advice within that organization. Um, and every great leader needs people around him or her to bounce ideas off of and, and get thoughts and perspective, especially someone who's not biased or has emotions tied into the situation. And sometimes we just don't see the things we have blind spots and and that I think is very valuable. Um, do you find that? I mean, do you, have you? Do you find that you're you? Do you tug on other people for advice in situations like that? And has that been proven to be helpful for you? Yes, all the time. And actually, um, even for people on my team that are in you know subject matter area um, functions and things like that, I've been able to reach out to people that I've worked with in the past and say, Hey, I've got this person. They might need a mentor. Do you have 30 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. here or there that maybe they can reach out to you? And I found this to be true with them and also people at the same level with, with me in mentoring me. If you ask, more more often than not, they're gonna they're gonna take the chance to try to help somebody. Yeah. I think as you know, most humans wanna help people in general. And if they're identified as somebody who can be helpful, they're gonna wanna help. Yeah. for the most part. So it never hurts to ask. And I've had some um, really great experiences finding mentors um, for people on my staff and people that have from people I've worked with in the past who mm-hmm. have been generous with their time and really want to 
you know, kind of pay it forward and help people grow. Yeah. I think it's, it's so critical. I think that's one of the most valuable parts of developing as a leader. And you never get to a point where you've fully developed. I mean, it's a journey. It's not a destination. But I, I think a lot of leaders lose sight of the fact that, you know, I've always hired and had somebody that not as I've always had people that are mentors to me, but I've always also sought out people that I have that I've contracted with to be a trusted advisor of mine because because of that. There's so many times I can think of where I was really struggling with an answer or a decision, and that person was so great uh, and so it was almost so natural to them. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even think about that. And I'm on the other side now. I also uh, coach executives and, and whatnot. And sometimes there are situations where they'll present a problem and I'll say, okay, here's what, and the same thing. And they're like, wow, that's so, and I'm like, well, it's only because I'm not surrounded in the situation that you're in and you're looking at it and all, all day long I'm thinking through it. And sometimes it just takes that fresh perspective. So I think a message to the audience out there is if you don't have somebody that you're working with, and you really want to develop as a leader, you got to find somebody. The, the mentors are great, but also a you know trusted advisor that you bring into your business. Yeah, and I, I think you know mentors are, like I said, people want to help. So you can probably get some really valuable insight and support for free. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of asking. And it's something, it's, you know, they're not solving your problems, but they're helping you think through how you need to solve your problems. And that that's critical. Yeah. And it's super important. Absolutely. And- yeah. I, uh, I know we don't have a whole lot of time, but I want to, I want to touch on communication because I know, uh, you, you're great at it. You, you've certainly, I know that's important to you. I'd love to get your perspective on what, what are the keys to great communication? Why is it so important? And especially, and people may be watching this or listening down the road. We're now at the end, hopefully of the pandemic and we've lived through a really unique year. So share a little bit about what communication means to you and from a leadership standpoint, why it's so important. Well, I think communication in general is a, is a difficult one in particular with, it's not just the pandemic, but the state of the, the country and the political strife and all the stuff that's been going on lately and making sure that you have an open channel of communication um, where you guys can have open conversations and be somewhat vulnerable in those conversations is critical. I also think because of the pandemic, it's really more important than ever. Um, You've got people that are stuck at home. You don't know what their situation is. You need to make sure that they understand you're in their corner. And, you know, I really do genuinely care about the people on my team. I may not always like them that much, but I care about them. So I want to find out how they're doing and, and, and what's going on in their life. And if they need anything, because sometimes they just need to, have somebody reach out to them. So maintaining that open communication and making sure that everybody knows that you've got their best interest at heart is really important. Mm -hmm. I think that's so key. And yeah. And I was just going to say, it kind of leads into this whole uh, concept of making sure people have opportunities to grow and develop and think along those lines too. Yeah. Um, and, And making sure that they understand that to build that trust factor. Mm-hmm. So how you've developed a lot of people, I know that, um, and you still do and continue, and that's a main priority of yours. How, how do you go about that? What are the important ingredients to a leader that really is a great developer of other people? Now I'm going to foot stomp the trust thing, because I think that's, you know, super crazy important. Um, but 
sitting down with people, understanding where their gaps are in their, um, in their job and what they're doing. Not everybody's going to be perfect. Everybody's on a journey. Everybody's developing. And there's always going to be room for improvement. So having honest conversations in a safe sort of environment where it's not, it's not a punitive, it's not a, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. Understanding where those gaps are and finding solutions to bridge those gaps. Some cases, um, it would be finding a mentor for this person so that they can get certain insights and expertise in a certain area. Some cases, it might be a training course. Some cases, it might be a way to kind of expedite their experience in a certain area. Maybe it's cross-functional training. So it's identifying the gaps and what their role is and what their role should be and where they could be the most successful and then helping navigate through building and strengthening those areas that um, will help them continue to to thrive. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're doing this with leaders, it's a contagious thing. I've found that if they, you do it with them, they're going to do it with their direct reports and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So you're building this culture of um, in professional enrichment and support um, that really it, it motivates people. It keeps the people loyal to the organization and if it's part of the culture, I found that people want to be on the team mm -hmm. um, versus other teams. So it, it kind of breeds this whole mm -hmm. culture of development and growth. Absolutely. Well, it's, it is without a doubt one of the most important things for keeping your top people. I mean, your top people, they need three things. They need to be growing. Uh, they need to feel like they're making an impact and as big of an impact as they can make. And they need to feel important and valued and recognized. And when you're developing people, that's hitting on all three of those. And, uh, and that's uh, the best developers of people are the ones that keep the best people and also attract more great people. So it's no surprise you've done that. Yeah. Well, this has been terrific. Uh, I know we're, we're, our time flew here and uh, we're, we're uh, short on time. But um, for those leaders out there, for those people that are maybe getting into leadership or in the early stages um, you're somebody who for a couple of decades has had some great success. You've managed to make the right decisions. Certainly you've, I'm sure had like everybody else, some setbacks, but you've really come a long way and you're making a huge impact out there. What advice would you give to the leaders that are at the early stages of their journey? So I think, and I've, I've mentioned this before, recognize that what got you to the place that you are is not going to necessarily carry you in terms of leading teams. So Make sure you're open to being very uh, introspective about those kinds of things, making sure you're authentic, um, making sure that what you say matches to what you do, because that that is a, a baseline for building trust and um, making sure you're really interested in helping the people that work for you continue to grow, because that's going to really cement that whole trust. block. Yeah, excellent. Great. Great words to end on. That's uh, dynamite advice. I am grateful for you joining us today. This has been a lot of fun talking with you. Yeah, I, I enjoy it. And, and, and thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to share some of my experiences. It's been fantastic. Absolutely. Well, I know there's a lot of people out there that are walking away with some great, great nuggets and values. So appreciate it. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining today. We've been here with Kim Parker, who's Chief Administrative Officer for Applied Insight. Very, very successful leader. I'm sure, uh, like me, you've got a lot of takeaways from this conversation. And uh, please make sure you subscribe. Give the thumbs up, uh, some comments, 
share this, uh, go down below, give a five-star review, of course, as always, greatly appreciated. And I'm always interested in your ideas and thoughts for topics as well as future guests for this show. Uh, appreciate you joining today. Kim, thanks again. Very much appreciated. Yeah. All right. Have a good one, everybody. Take care. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader for suggestions or inquiries about having me at your next event or personal coaching. Reach me at john at loritogroup.com. Once again, that's J-O-H-N at L-A-U-R-I-T-O-G-R-O-U-P dot com. Thanks. Lead on.